Now, the title of this morning's message is uh, Unimpressed, simply titled Unimpressed. Uh, but something that came up beforehand, because we're, we're looking at the Apostle Paul, not so much him uh, saying much of anything in these verses that we're going to be covering, but more of what happens to him, as has been forewarned, as has been told by others throughout his third missionary journey, of what he'll come in contact with as he comes into Jerusalem. And uh, so I was... I was thinking of this, it, it was interesting, and it was confirmed by what I heard this morning, just a, a small snippet um, from, uh, you all know Vernon McGee? <laughs> I love Vernon McGee. Um, and, uh, and he was going over James, and so I was, I, was th- I was thinking, man, I was just thinking about that. James 1, 2 through 4. And... Um, so the, in the ESV, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perhaps if you have the New King James Version, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, when we go through various trials, the Lord knows. It doesn't catch them by surprise. He knows exactly when you're going through a testing and when you're going through temptation. They both serve one purpose, and that is for the desired end goal of making you more mature in Christ. But you can't be more mature in Christ if you don't know His Word. And if you're not knowledgeable of his word, then you can't express wisdom. That is the right application of knowledge. And so each time that you're presented, confronted with a temptation or a trial, it serves this wonderful purpose of refining you, strengthening you, and even revealing to you what is lacking. For the Apostle Paul throughout his first, second, and third missionary trip now, He has encountered many obstacles, so much opposition. He's been beaten, left for dead, dragged out of town. Uh, He's been uh, accused falsely by multiple people and so much more. And yet he continues to move forward. In fact, I believe that all of those things serve to prepare him for what we're going over this morning. So let's begin by reading in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders who were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we consider the things that you have done in our own lives individually and corporately as a church and perhaps as a family and in our marriages, Lord, that we would glorify you, Lord, collectively, all together. Lord, we would honor you. We would sing your praises. We would be encouraged. We perhaps may even be stirred up to love and good works 
as we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but coming together to share the blessings and your faithfulness and your grace and your love toward us. May you be honored and glorified, and may your people be strengthened, Lord. May we be resolute, Lord, steadfast in demonstrating a love and faith toward you that is unmistakably rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, Lord, that you would wake us up, Lord, and help us to be attentive to what the Spirit has to say to the church. For we thank you for this time, and we commit it into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Different things impress different people. Not all people are impressed by the same things. Some people are interested in poems and art, while others are interested in cars and sports. While those things are really a matter of personal preference and do not have really a a significance regarding eternity, the message that Paul had to deliver did have eternal significance. And yet the world, even the religious world, had no interest in it and even opposed him vehemently. While people who have been touched by God's grace, knowing his forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ, are eternally moved and have no greater interest, that's speaking of you and I, than to glorify God, the world remains unimpressed and does not understand why anyone would live to serve God. Confuses them. Confuses the world. That's why, as you speak of the things that God is doing in your own life, people who don't, do not know the Lord remain unimpressed. While the church hears a report of God's work and is moved to glorify God and They praise him for what he's doing. The world and religious groups are only interested in furthering themselves in their own agenda. Even if it's at the expense of the church and the glory of God. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to verse 18. So John 15, 18. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and so he is preparing them for the world to send them out. And he tells them, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. 
If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. It's interesting. We're coming to a a season to where we're focused on the birth of the Savior of the world. And yet remember how it was that his people and the world turned their backs on the Lord all of whom he came and died on the cross for. But he shared these words with his disciples to prepare them for what was to come. Listen, understand that you're going to be hated not because they just hate you, but it's for my sake. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so we see that. It's it's the preparation that God has for each and every one of you. Quite honestly, we cannot be soft Christians. In fact, a true Christian really doesn't exist as far as that person being soft. You have to be, as you receive that opposition and that persecution and and, and those things come against you, you realize, oh, this is not something to where you can hold hands with the world and sing Kumbaya. You cannot appease the world. They remain unimpressed with you and your God. It's a battle. And so Jesus knew that. And Jesus prepared his disciples well. While it appears that part of the church is trying hard to impress and attract the world, the world remains unimpressed and only desires to be affirmed in its own desires and is happy with whoever goes along with it. Leaving it alone and undisturbed in its agenda to please itself. That's true. I mean, look at the churches who have basically compromised in matters that pertain to the truth of God's word. The Bible clearly says that liars and drunkards and the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. That includes homosexuals, and gay, lesbian, so on and so forth. There's no hatred for them. In fact, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, I was once in that camp to where I was condemned in my sin. And yet I had to confess my sins and repent and believe on the Son of God, and be saved the same way as everyone else. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, lest any man should boast. But we see many churches that are going along. And you know, the churches that the world loves, you need to be weary of, you need to be leery of. You know, the ones that align themselves with with the world, and they're so loved and adored by the world. Remember the world, the flesh is opposed to the spirit. That's just the way it is. If there's no opposition, then you got to wonder, don't you? That's what my Bible says. Paul was the recipient of this perspective of worldly philosophy. Rome and religious people of Paul's day were unimpressed with what Paul had to say, and they were even enraged when the message of the gospel disturbed the world's way of living and the religious system that they followed. 
Paul is now arriving in Jerusalem from his third missionary journey and is eager to tell the church of all of the wonderful things that the Lord had done through that ministry, the ministry of Paul's third missionary journey. I have a question for us this morning, and perhaps a couple or three. Kind of help us think. What does all this have to do with the church today? Number one, is it relevant to today? The church should not work hard to attract the world, and its praise should not labor to attract the Lord and his praise. Actually, it should labor, right? That, that is what we ought to give ourselves to. We should be passionate and have a zeal for attracting the Lord's honor, the Lord's praise, the Lord's glory. What does this have to do with you today? Does that have any? Sometimes we sit here and, and sometimes we can think, I'm just sitting through this. I don't know how this is relevant to me today. That's a question that we need to answer every single time we come before the Lord and read his word. How is this relevant to me? Because it is. It applies to each and every one of us today in this very moment. You see, for us, as we see the Apostle Paul and what he went through in Acts chapter 21, it should really encourage us to not seek the approval of the world, but to live for the Lord. Because the world would rather do away with you. Remember that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't ever forget that. Don't let your guard down and think that uh, he's on your side. He's not on your side. He wants to deceive you. He wants to completely destroy you. So what do we do? What, what is the action that we take? Well, as you know, God's grace through faith in Christ, remain focused and continue to proclaim the good news of God's forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Bring true and eternal hope to others through the gospel, especially today. Today, we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a dark world that we're living in. There is so much chaos, so much turmoil. So much deception that we need to shed a light on all of that by just simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and sharing the truth. There is no message more powerful and important than the gospel. While the enemy tries to stop it, the Christian warrior, filled with God's love in his spirit, keeps advancing the good news, come what may. That's how we ought to be encouraged this morning. I love the Apostle Paul and his tenacity. He is tenacious. When opposition hits him, he learns from it and continues to persevere, advancing and moving forward. How about you? What holds you down? What has paralyzed you? What have you allowed to stop you from advancing and doing the will of the Lord and spreading the gospel? Well, we're going to give a little background here. And as we go through and explain things, I know that the Spirit will minister to you as we explain the text. Now, again, in verse 17, uh, this is the beginning of when Paul arrives in Jerusalem and he meets with uh, a, a group that was receiving him. And the next day he goes on and meets up with James and the elders of the church there in Jerusalem. So, again, verse 17 of Acts chapter 21 says, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. 
After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And so he got this cheerful reception. Uh, There was uh, glory that was given to God. And it's all as Paul, Paul was anticipating his arrival in Jerusalem. He was very excited to come, even though he knew. He was told time and time again what, what it was that he was going to be met with there in Jerusalem. Nonetheless, he was excited. And so the first day he gets there and he was received by the disciples there. He had a warm reception. They were happy to see him and they brought him in. You know, I'm thinking that, um, you know, for him, uh, you know, a day of travel oftentimes, you know, exhausts you. And for him, that was all that was described of him doing the first day is just being received warmly by the disciples. And he comes in. It's not until the next day that he goes and sees James and the elders. And that what, what that's describing is James being what's implied here. James is the head or you, you can say the senior elder or the senior pastor. And we have the elders or the leadership of the church there in Jerusalem. And that's who he went to go see the following day. Now, Paul was eager to go to Jerusalem, even though time and time again, he was warned not to go. In fact, there were other disciples that we know that pled with him not to go. It says in Acts chapter 21, in verse 11, And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet. This is Agabus that did this, and Uh, So he bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And this is Paul's response. He answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That was Paul's heart. He knew that the only thing that mattered was to fulfill the will of God. That was it. He was zealous. He was passionate to express his love and gratitude for the one who had forgiven him of all of his sins and given him the certain hope of forever being in the presence of God's glory. Well, he finally got to Jerusalem. And as was expected, the brothers in Jerusalem received him with cheer, with great pleasure and good grace. They are happy to see Paul. The next day, he uh, went and saw James and the elders. And from this, we can see that the apostles seemed to no longer be present in Jerusalem, at least not in the leading of the church there. In fact, we see James. James, by the way, is the the brother of Jesus. And remember that uh, Jesus, while he was alive, uh, in his household, he was looked at as being mad. He Mad not in the angry sense, but mad in the, like, you're crazy sense. And yet here we see James, at this point, heading up the church in Jerusalem as the senior elder, along with the rest of the people there. 
It's just quite a testimony of who Jesus is. Well, after having greeted everyone, Paul gave an account of all that the Lord had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul recounted, as we see here, it's described as, he he described to them every little detail. He didn't want to miss a thing. He wanted to explain to them everything that had taken place on this third missionary journey. And they were so filled with joy that they praised God and glorified the Lord with this news. Uh, This is what should bring joy to the church, to the very heart of the church. This should bring bring great pleasure and encouragement. You know, this, um, this turkey and meal giveaway that we did just last week, you know, we saw 71... 71. 71 people participate. That is that that they came and they received uh, turkey and pie and some received some other items. But, you know, it it wasn't just the act of giving away food to people who could use that, that help. But as was explained to me, as someone was being prayed for and then afterwards realizing that they were weeping. They were, they were broken. Someone to just share the love of Christ with them and to pray for them and, and show some empathy and some love is really what they were yearning for. This is what the world, this is what the world needs. It, is it needs to understand the love of Christ. Does it bring joy to your heart to hear a report like that? How through your giving, by the way, these things are made possible. What you're doing and what you pray for, by the way, you participate in the blessings. And and there are some some, uh, great things that await us as a church as we participate in that way. Await us in the very presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. Through the years, we've seen people come to faith and grow in the understanding and application of God's word, seeing it become wisdom to them in their entire lives, applying God's word effectively in their marriages, in their relationships with others, in how they handle certain situations. I'm telling you, that is greatly encouraging to me and to the leadership of this church. The response from James and the elders demonstrated a love for Jesus. And that's exactly how, as we hear these reports of things happening among the people of God, that we should be encouraged. We should demonstrate that love for Jesus and the work of the gospel. As it reaches many here, it reached many there. And Paul was excited to share with them all the little details that had taken place on this journey. Well... The only thing is that there was a concern about what was going on in Jerusalem with the Jews. For James and the elders, they wanted to share this concern with Paul. It was a misunderstanding of false accusations against Paul. Continuing on in the second portion of verse 20. It says, And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, 
telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Well, this was the concern of the church. They wanted to share this with Paul. James and the elders were all happy about what God had been doing and what he's done through Paul's ministry. But what they concerned, they were concerned of most, is what was going on there locally in Jerusalem among the Jews who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because they were still zealous for the law. And the celebrations and the rituals uh, they were accustomed to keep, they were still holding them. And, And yet they had heard that Paul was teaching all the Jews among the Gentiles, just forsake the law. Don't do that. Don't do any of the rituals Don't follow any of the celebrations. And in fact, on the eighth day, don't get your child circumcised, which was huge for the Jews. They were following the law of Moses. But we know from Paul's own life that he didn't have a problem with the law or Jewish customs. We know that to be true. You know, when we hear of things about others, we need to work hard to either confirm or completely dismiss those those charges against that other person. Uh, we, we shouldn't just take an accusation or gossip for something that is true. We need to be careful. The Bible clearly outlines exactly how it is that we are to approach anyone who has offended us. Or perhaps we realize that we've offended someone else. That's why the Lord lays it out very well. It's to man up or woman up uh, in a Christian way to go to that person privately and confront them in a loving way and ask them about these things. Well, for the Apostle Paul, this was just all things. This was gossip. These were things that lies that were being spread. He was accused of falsely, and yet it wasn't true. We see it wasn't true by Scripture, In Romans chapter 14, and verse 1, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, For as as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is for his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. And so this is the writing of the Apostle Paul. He had no problem with keeping the law or abstaining from it as far as the Gentiles are concerned. Because in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 21, we learned of Paul participating in a Nazarite vow. This is not something that the Gentiles did, but something that the Jewish people did. And yet he participated in it. And so we know by this that Paul was not against what they were saying he was against. And James and the elders were warning Paul. They were, had deep concern for him. 
And so they had this plan to help him get past these false accusations. Besides, I remind you of the Jerusalem Council and how it is that they had decided, they had concluded that Jewish Christians would remain loyal to Jewish law, but Gentiles were not subject to keep the law, but would do well to keep a few special provisions as set forth by the apostles. So the church, James, and the elders wanted to make sure that the new Jewish converts knew the truth about Paul. They were concerned about it. They wanted to make sure that they knew exactly where he stood. Verse 23 says, Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And so this is to demonstrate the claims are false. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to demonstrate to all the people, all the Jews there, that the claims that have been laid against Paul are false. So the elders knew four young men who had taken the Nazarite vow were coming to a close, and Paul could demonstrate that he was not only not against the keeping of the law, but kept the law himself by endorsing these men, by paying for the costly sacrifices at the conclusion of the Nazarite vow. The purification that is noted here that Paul underwent was not a Nazarite vow, because that would have been too long. That wouldn't fit into the timeline here. But one was that, that was common for someone who had been on a long journey, had come back. And so he went through this rite of purification. And it was seven days long. And so Paul agreed and gave notice of when it was going to be completed. And gave notice that he would present the offering for the men at the, at the conclusion of their vow. And so... Thus, by his own actions, Paul would demonstrate that the accusations against him were false. But then things took a turn anyway. Let's continue. Verse 27 says, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So... Assumptions made, assumptions believed. Mob mentality. Many times a mob does not know why it's a mob. If you ask someone in the fringes, what are you doing? They'll say, I don't know, but it looks exciting. I'm just part of it. Assumptions made, assumptions believed. 
Without evidence, only speculation, false assumptions. Paul was accused of defiling the temple by bringing in a Gentile into its courts. You see, no Gentile could go beyond the court of the Gentiles. And doing so was punishable by death. There were signs uh, that were there along the way that would warn of this. And it's believed that even the Romans supported this, although there weren't any reported incidents of this actually taking place, of someone going beyond and being put to death. But these Jews from Asia, oh man, they just followed Paul everywhere. These Jews from Asia, it's possible, and it's thought that perhaps they were the ones from Ephesus and that area around uh, Asia and what we would know today as Turkey, they were violent toward the Apostle Paul. They were hostile toward the Apostle Paul. And they were accusing Paul of teaching everyone everywhere to live lives against the customs of the people, the law and the land itself. And they accused Paul of defiling the temple. These men were riling up the Romans and the Jews against him, and they were, unfortunately, they were successful. The people believed them. And get this, without actual evidence. Isn't that a sad commentary? When we're duped into believing something without actual evidence, we should, we should really be humbled when we believe something without evidence, we should. It's a, it's a good thing when you feel like a fool. <laughs> it really is. You know, don't let your pride so well up within you that you, you never get to a place of confessing and repenting. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And when you don't allow God to confront you in your sin of believing something without any evidence or any knowledge whatsoever, then we ought to confess that and repent to the Lord. No? We ought to. Because these people were believing all of what was being said by these others, this group of people, they were believing them without actual evidence. No eyewitnesses. Were eyewitnesses brought forth? No, not, not a one. What did the people do? What what any sensible group with a mob mentality would do. They immediately seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple. The gates were shut probably to keep all the people out because of the chaos that was going on. Because it was building up to a frenzy. Imagine this. Just upon the word of a few people, they, they believed him. Immediately went to Paul. They didn't ask him questions. They dragged him out. Verse 31 says, And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. 
intent to murder. While this confused mob was beating Paul, intending to kill him, word got to the tribune of the cohort. What in the world? They put it in English, like today's terms, right? What is the tribune of the cohort? Well, it means that there's a man who oversaw about a thousand soldiers. So a thousand Roman soldiers were under his leadership. And so it says that this tribune of the cohort, he got word of what was taking place. And it was thought that it was his place, his headquarters was in the fortress of Antonia, which was located in the northwest quarter, uh, corner of, of the Temple Mount as we would know it today. Had four towers, three of which came up about 86 feet. And the third one, which was located in the southeast corner, rose to a height of 120 feet. Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, says that from that tower, you could see 360 degrees all the way around. So from there, uh, I have no doubt that perhaps the lookout saw everything that was going on. And then he, of course, sent word to the tribune of the cohort that this was happening. There was this uprising. And so from there, he and at least a couple, a couple centurions, which means at least two men who oversaw a hundred men, went and took a look, saw what's going on. It was a great force. This had to have been an impressive Move uh, an impressive response by the Romans because they stopped beating Paul. At that point, if the Roman soldiers hadn't come, they would have beat him to death. It's described as they were punching him and stomping on him over and over and over again. And then the Roman soldiers came and they stopped beating Paul. And the tribune was able to arrest Paul and take him into their custody. Now it says that he was bound with two chains. You remember the prophet Agabus? He said, whoever owns his belt will be chained like this, will be imprisoned, right? I wonder if Paul thought about that. Here it is. We don't know if he was chained to two soldiers or he was chained at his wrists and his ankles. We don't know that, but we do know he had two chains on him. Now, their main interest, that is the interest of the Roman soldiers, was not to save Paul. But to stop the rioting, to stop the unrest. Roman emperors ruled by force and squelching anything that was contrary and opposed to peace and pleasure. So the crowd was so loud, though, and so chaotic that when the tribune was asking, what did Paul do? What did this man do? He couldn't discern. He couldn't figure out. One was saying one thing, the other, the other. And I'm sure there was just shouting, shouting. And finally, he's like, forget it. Take Paul away to the barracks. And so Paul was carried to safety while being chained. Now, if you look at a picture of the fortress of Antonia, it's it's interesting because there are stairs that go directly up to this this patio that oversees um, the court underneath. And it's the perfect place where Paul can address all of his accusers all the people that were coming against him. And that's what we're going to study next week, next Sunday. But that's where he's at. 
Because all the while the mob was following closely the, the, whole, the, the multitude of Roman soldiers. They were following all of them. And they were shouting, away with him. Now, it wasn't because they, they, he, they wanted him out of their presence. It wasn't because of that. It's like, oh, we don't want to see him anymore, so please take him away from us. You know, away with him meant dead. Kill him. We want him completely silenced. That's what the world's been trying to do with those who love God and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. The world does that. The world wants us silenced. What should we do? Because these people were unimpressed with Paul and his demonstration of his approval of the keeping of the law by the Jews. It didn't stop them from attacking him when false accusations were easily received and believed. The world and the religious leaders were unimpressed. They were doing everything they could to stop Paul from ever speaking again. I don't know about you, but I just have this feeling that the world is trying to do that today. Silence the church. Oh, just stay at home. You know, just keep your faith to yourself. Don't share it with anyone else. In other words, there's a whole group of people that's trying to muzzle the church. I can tell you, and I will declare, and I will proclaim that they will never be successful. But what are you going to do about it? It really comes down to that. Are you encouraged by the Apostle Paul? I am. I'm encouraged by, I'm encouraged by him. I love this man, and I can't wait to tell him how much of an encouragement he was to me. One day, I will get to tell him that, personally. Because all of this is the work of the enemy. And it remains active in the world up to this very day. The world is unimpressed with you and me. Let's not try to impress them. I'm going to go through this uh, quickly. Number one, take heart. Jesus is overcome. Number two, do not fear. And number three, be strong and courageous. This is the way that I see to encourage you in how to deal with what we just went over. Number one, take heart. Jesus is overcome. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So, brothers and sisters, take heart. Jesus has overcome. Number two, do not fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. That should echo in every one of your hearts today. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That means that we're tempered in the way in how we respond, but we do not walk in fear. We walk by faith. 
with the full knowledge of who God is and who God is in our lives. So take heart. Jesus is overcome. Number two, do not fear. Number three, be strong and courageous. We go to Joshua chapter one, verse six, which says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Take heart. Jesus is overcome. Do not fear and be strong and courageous. You see, Paul desired to bless and glorify the Lord. And he knew what was coming. Think about this. He knew what was coming. And now he was in the middle of it. He was experiencing what he was told he would. Affliction and imprisonment. I remind you of what we went over at the very beginning. James 1, 2 through 4. You think all of those things got him prepared to be patient for when he did receive affliction and was imprisoned? I think so. Because next week we'll see how it is that he responded with great discipline, with great power, by asking to speak to all the people. That's discipline. That's containing that anger within him. Oh, when someone beats you, what do you want to do? <laughs> you, want to, you want to beat them back, don't you? Yeah. The Apostle Paul said, no, I want to speak to them. I want to address them. James 1, 2 through 4. But he had come to know God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and was now on a mission to make sure he told as many people as possible. Paul was willing to give his life for the sake of the gospel because that is the only true hope for all mankind. And I'll leave you with this quote by Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain he cannot lose. Close quote. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can give that which we can never lose. Lord, we have the message of reconciliation. Lord, we are ambassadors of Christ to spread the gospel, the good news, Lord, that all men, if they believe, shall be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know that salvation Lord, that today you are calling upon them. Lord, knowing that their sin for you tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it separates us from you. Lord, that it's that sin that needs to be confessed to you. Lord, humbly just laid before you and turned from. And crying out to you, Lord, they would ask you to be Lord and Savior. I pray that that would be what happens this morning. And I pray for the church, Lord. Oh, strengthen us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be well-grounded in your word. 
applying it to our lives, to your glory, for the benefit of others. Lord, let us be steadfast. Lord, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord that is serving you, proclaiming the gospel, and just honoring you by the way we live our lives. We thank you for your love that you first demonstrated to us. May we demonstrate it back. In Jesus' name we pray.